Hey folks, this is Mike White, one of the two halves of the Kolchak Tapes, and I'm here with a special announcement for you. We have a hardcover copy of The Showrunner, An Insider's Guide to Successful TV Production by Cy Shermack. If you don't know, Cy Shermack was the longer-term producer of the Night Stalker show, and his memoir is available now. So if you want a copy of this, all you have to do is go out to Twitter or Facebook and talk about the Kolchak tapes talk about how fantastic we are. Yes, this is a bribe. Be sure to tag it hashtag Kolchak tapes. We'll find it and we will select one lucky winner who will get a free copy of this sent over to them. And all I ask is that you do it before the end of September 2017. Once again, just hashtag Kolchak tapes talk about how fantastic the show is and you will get a copy of the showrunner and insider's guide to successful TV production by Cy Shermack. And who doesn't love free stuff? They intrude from places beyond our imagining. Demons, monsters, killers, who strike with no remorse or reason. In our waking hours, we look over our shoulder, out the corner of our eye, alert to the stranger who might attack without warning. But in all our lives, there is a greater danger, one even more terrifying for being unexpected. That was the voice of reporter Carl Kolchak. That is the intro to the second of The Night Stalker, 2005's The Night Stalker, that is, uh, being Stuart Townsend instead of our beloved Darren McGavin. And this is the episode, The Five People You Meet in Hell. Now, this one was aired October 6th, 2005. Apparently, it was a later episode that was moved up in the rotation. And we all know how well it works when a network moves shows that are supposed to be later into an earlier slot. Chris, what did you think of the five people you meet in hell? Okay, I'm about to blow your mind. I really liked it. Excellent. It was really good. This may be the second best thing I've watched this entire time we've done this Cold Jack Tapes podcast. I'm not even kidding. And I feel like we're only two episodes into this reboot of Coal Shack. And obviously, like you said, this episode was moved up from its original spot in the rotation. But I don't know. It just seems like everything worked really well in this episode. It had a really interesting premise. I mean, the premise is effectively stolen right out of the X-Files. Uh, there's an episode in the X-Files very similar to this one where it's like a war veteran who's killing people using his mind. So it's very X-Files-esque. I mean, again, come on, it's Frank Spotnitz, so 
is anyone surprised at this point that this show is very X-Files inspired, considering how the original Kolshak was, you know, inspirer of the X-Files. But I really enjoyed it. I mean, Stuart Townsend was great. I felt that the villain, played by Tony Curran, who's a fantastic character actor, also great, practically unrecognizable under the makeup to some extent. I couldn't really tell it was him. I had to go check after the fact. But it was really good. I liked it. What about you, Mike? Give me the rundown. I feel like you're going to have a different opinion than me. No, I thought this one was actually pretty well done. It reminded me a lot of that Beyond the Sea episode of The X-Files, where it was, what, Brad Dorif in jail as uh, Luther Lee Boggs. But in that one, though, like, he's not a villain so much. Like, this guy is like a straight villain. They name-check Charles Manson in here, and I kind of get that with him having cult followers, kind of like the following that Kevin Bacon show, but... At the same time, you never really see the cult followers. We just heard about them. Well, they don't need to either. Due to the mechanics of the episode, you never even need them. No. And I have to say, there are some genuine frights in there. Um, This guy reaches out from his prison cell to people that have been involved with his court case and somehow gets into their mind. We don't know if it's necessarily supernatural. I guess it's supernatural. Supernatural and manages to kind of hypnotize them or whatever, and then they get visited by a dead loved one who tells them, you know what you have to do. And I have to say the one, the second murder that happens in this, when it is the little girl, and she says, Mommy, come here and look at this. And it's the letters, the magnetic letters that spell out, you know what you have to do. It's like, oh... Wow. Okay. I liked the premise a lot. I liked the mechanism of someone who is like dear to you, near and dear to you that has passed away being kind of the the harbinger of your downfall. I like that. I'll say that the twist, the twist, there's like a tiny twist in the episode, uh, kind of like a sixth sense twist. I saw that coming from like a mile away, like the moment Art LaFleur showed up on screen. I was like, oh, he's dead, right? Because they've already like established that there's like a dead mechanism, like a dead character mechanism in this episode. And I was like, well, one of these, like one of the characters we've seen so far is probably dead already. So I kind of was expecting that, if that makes sense. I would say I predicted that it wasn't going to be Perry who turned, that it was going to be Carl who turned towards the end. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, that wouldn't make sense. Because, I mean, they played a pretty hardcore, like, oh my god, you know, even Jane going and taking her letter opener from her so she can't murder people. I was like, yeah, you're really laying it on that she is supposed to wake up and murder people, but... It's not going to happen. That twist was pretty obvious as well. Like, it's pretty telegraphed from kind of when Kolshak meets Damon Kaler, the Charles Manson-esque killer in the episode. Like, it's pretty telegraphed that that's where it's headed with Kolshak seeing his wife again. They never even talk about someone that Perry Reed lost. So it's like, well, Kolshak lost his wife. And they have like a three-minute conversation about it, kind of angling in that direction. Right. Reminding you in case you forgot from last week. Yeah. I've noticed something and I don't know if this is going to be a continued thing with this show or if it was just this episode, but Vincenzo doesn't have much of a place in this show. Perry Reed has kind of replaced his character. Like they have Vincenzo in the show played by Cotter Smith. I think only to be like, check that box. Vincenzo. Kolshak Vincenzo. Got it. But as of right now, with these last two episodes, he hasn't done much. If I was Perry, I would be kind of mad because 
when you are a reporter and you go to a press conference, it really should only just be one reporter and that they're sending Carl and her, or at least Carl keeps showing up at these things where it's supposed to just be her. It's like, hey, man, back off. This is my beat. She was just like, okay with it, but I would be kind of mad if I was her. But whatever. The other thing that I liked about this episode is that it reminded me of Don Siegel's Telephon, where you would get that uh, little Robert Frost poem, and then people would go out and become basically suicide bombers. So there was that kind of like a, a Manchurian candidate type angle to this. And at first I was thinking, oh, OK, maybe they're like the cult conditioning. And these are all people that were part of the cult from way back. Almost there's like a Law and Order episode that's kind of like that as far as like, you know, these people were all together in like the weather underground, but now they're all leading straight normal lives. And I think the following might have been kind of like that, too. I only watched one episode of that show. Not so much. I watched the whole show. If these all people had, you know, come back from whatever and they were all living their normal lives and then it just takes one phrase or like walking time bombs but it doesn't necessarily turn out to be that but i still think to your point that this is a very solid episode i have to say the the writer of this episode thomas schnauz he has done a ton of stuff the expected what you would expect the lone gunman the x-files but then he went on to work on reaper which i liked a lot and i kind of feel bad that that show was canceled Breaking Bad, of course, and then uh, The Man in the High Castle. Uh, he did a couple episodes, again, with that Frank Spotnitz uh, connection. And now he's working on Better Call Saul. As an EP on Better Call Saul, yeah. Yeah, writer and EP. So pretty cool. This Shack reboot, it, it's not suffering, in my opinion, from a lack of people who are talented involved. I think more than anything, it's suffering from, I don't know how you feel about this, it's suffering from the Shack name. Had this been a different character, I think we'd be judging it by a different standard. Right. There's none of like the dry, well, not so much really in the original, it, not so much in the television series, but in the original film, The Night Stalker, there was a little bit of dry humor. There's none in this show. This show is played pretty straight. And a little humor goes a long way in a show like this. Even a show like Supernatural and The X-Files, like there was a little bit of like playful banter between the main characters. And you never get the sense that Stuart Townsend has any of that in his in his rendition of Shack in this show. No, no, he is very much a sleepwalker in this ep- in this role. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of plays. I don't know. He kind of just has like takes a back seat in his own show to Perry Reed. I care much more about her and Jane McManus. And that, for me, is the real issue that I'm starting to kind of have with this show, is that, it, like I said, it it has a real problem being associated with Shack. And I think that that may become an issue farther down the road. I have to say I'm kind of bummed looking forward at the other episodes of The Night Stalker. I was really hoping that the Detective Granoff character would come back because I really liked him and I like the actor that plays him, Alex Carter. I've seen him in a ton of stuff. He was a semi-regular. I mean, they the show was on so freaking long, but he was a semi-regular on CSI and he was also in uh, Burn Notice. And I always enjoyed when he would show up. So I was really hoping like this guy is going to be 
either an antagonist, like, because there is an antagonistic thing that is going on at the beginning of this episode, and then when Kolchak actually stops him from shooting his wife, and apparently he recovers pretty darn fast, but when he stops him from shooting his wife, I was like, oh, okay, now he's got an ally on the police force, and we can really play this up, but no, he's not going to come back again. Yeah, I mean, we ran into that problem in the original show where there were characters that, like police characters that just seemingly disappear, (laughs) which, you know, it's kind of surprising that the new show falls into that same trap. Yeah, yeah, you would think they would have kind of gotten past that. I mean, I like that looking at another show that's out right now, which is iZombie, they have, I mean, they work for the city morgue and they have a relationship with one of the detectives and it was this whole thing for a few seasons of will he find out that the main character is a zombie or will he not but there was it was nice that they were able to kind of play with the investigative angle that way our characters are naturally supposed to be investigators because they're reporters in the night stalker but at the same time you always have to have either a antagonist or protagonist on the police force in order to have that tension. It would be great if you had somebody solid to give that to you every single episode. I feel like some of the more successful shows of this kind build around the leads. And yeah, we have Jane McManus played by Eric Youngman. And again, we have Vincenzo, but... (sighs) It's just they're so underrepresented that you need kind of more, especially with how I wouldn't say one dimensional, but how lackluster Stuart Townsend's Kolshak is being written. I'm not sure it's Townsend's performance. It, it's a, probably a little bit of that, but it's also the way he's written. He's almost written as like <sighs> disinterested Fox Mulder. Because he has like that whole like backstory of something happened in my past that I'm trying to figure out while solving these cases. But you always got the sense in the X-Files that Mulder was very motivated. I mean, he it, it didn't even get the sense. You always saw it on screen. It's very motivated. And in The Night Stalker, Kolchak is just kind of dour and just uninterested. And that doesn't help the show because you want to root for a character and you want to be invested in a character who's invested in his own story. And if he's not invested in his own story and, and the universe around him, how can we be expected to get invested in him? And he figures things out almost too quickly in this episode. I mean, there's the whole press conference at the beginning that I referred to before, and he has information that apparently people didn't look at or didn't pay the same attention to that he did, because he immediately brings up the dead father that our first murderer had seen. And they're just like, what? You're talking about ghosts? He's like, no, no, I'm not talking about ghosts right now. But it, And it's like, yeah, you are talking about ghosts. And so you basically kind of solved most of the mystery right off the bat. Again, something that's handed to him a little too easily. This whole thing in the date book, his the, the murderer's date book, where it says ACDC, 11 a.m. And immediately, Perry's just like, oh, yeah, that means appellate court. Uh, <laughs> and I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That got real easy, real fast. How did you? And then that she was the one that managed to send away Damon Kaler. And I was just like, oh, okay. So the, it, the pieces come together really fast, but it 
It's like, uh, all right, um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of investigation when it came to this, and then it's just mostly a matter of preventing other murders, and I don't know, trying to get Kaler to what admit something. It it just seems kind of awkward as far as what they're going about with him. Well, that's what I didn't really understand because what good would it have been to get him to admit to anything? They can't get him. To, they can't prove it. So, yeah, it seemed like they were kind of going about it all the wrong way. Like, admit it. Admit what? Well, uh, you, you're going to admit that you're murdering people from your cell? Like, ha- you know, in, in this universe that this Night Stalker inhabits, there's even, I feel like, less room for characters believing in stuff like what happened in this episode. And obviously, we're only two episodes in, but, you know, it, it seems like an uphill battle and just being like, well, it was your, it was your dead father. And, he, you know, it's just like, oh, just jumping to conclusions. No one is really like, no one's investigating anything here. If the original show had a lot of investigative journalism, like with Dick Van Patten talking to Cole Shack in the last episode, which was a little too much obviously i mean that was that was just like exposition dump in this it's like they don't even attempt there's not even a it's not even an attempt it's just these conclusions are made off screen and the camera is just shown they're just shown giving that information on camera not coming to that conclusion i do have to say i like the way they finally dispatch of this damon Kaler character that they end up using the hatred of the other prisoners against him and basically just what release him into general pop and count on the the rest of the prisoners to take care of them i when i saw that i was like damn this is pretty messed up yeah it's brutal right and so like it makes sense and i'm glad they didn't show him being like murdered but it's a pretty it's a pretty dark way to deal with the character yeah i would think if anything he would come back in a different episode and so i was really kind of surprised i had forgotten that he was killed in this i was like oh yeah he'll he'll be a regular thing he'll come back later on he's kind of like the he's almost like the red john or or you know one of these other recurring murderers that you're gonna get in uh these different investigative shows and is he dead it didn't say he was murdered it just said he was stabbed yeah i mean he looked pretty darn dead and then that the actor never comes back. I was like, well, maybe well, in the second season he would have come back. Right. Well, and again, I mean, we'll never know. This show ended up going for 12 episodes. So, you know, well, 10, excuse me, 12 originally. They were written but never produced. So we have no idea what season two or three of this show held. So they they kind of gave themselves an out. It's kind of disappointing because, again, Tony Curran does a good job as Damon Kaler. He's actually an interesting villain compared to Invisible Werewolf Monster in the previous episode. I think that the first episode set, set, set such a low bar that this episode pretty much only up from here. And yeah, I agree. The makeup job on him, his performance, I thought everything was very, very effective with him. And it was super creepy. Man, does he play it well. He, I know they kept comparing him to Charles Manson in the episode, but to me, something about him and his look, he kind of reminded me of, what's the guy's name? Tobin Bell? He kind of reminded me of Jigsaw. It kind of got that vibe too, but that could also be because Tony Curran and Tobin Bell are like separated at birth. They look identical. Like they're very close, like facial features. Okay. I'm glad it's not just me then. No, it's not just you. Like I said, I had to look up who it was because it was, I felt like it was either Tobin Bell or Tony Curran because again, they're like, he has like weird, like burn makeup on his forehead because his forehead got burned and his eyes got burned and he was blind. Yeah. So it it was kind of hard to tell under all that makeup yeah that was pretty pretty interesting when they were like oh yeah the other prisoners did that to him i was like oh okay yeah 
But again, I don't know if he's dead or alive. I mean, I'd like to believe that he's dead because they were trying to set up some sort of long-term storyline for his character. But, I mean, realistically, it's, it wouldn't be surprising if he was dead. And ultimately, I think him being dead, does it really affect anything in the long-term story? No, because we only got 10 episodes. Right. So. Yeah, I wonder if had they aired this where they originally were supposed to air it, which I want to say was like episode number eight, I want to say if he would have had a, a better chance of coming back. Yeah. How about the, uh, I actually really like the title, the parody of the Mitch album book. I'm not sure how that works into the subject matter of the episode, but yeah, I was even counting up bodies in the episode. Like, is this going to be five murders in here? But no, no, it's, it's not, <laughs> it's not, not at all. As a Detroiter who kind of has Mitch album just shoved down his throat by the local paper and how fantastic he is and how fucking great Tuesdays with Maury was. And it's just like, ugh. so I'm, any parody of Mitch album is fine by me. So I'm curious for you, how does this episode kind of stack up versus the last episode? Oh, I think it was a lot better than the last episode. I just think that we have a villain in this episode I mean, he's not maybe the most – he's not necessarily the most dynamic villain since he is stuck in jail through the whole thing, but that he has some supernatural abilities I thought was really nice and that we don't know is it supernatural or not, and it kind of leaves that open in that nice X-Files type way. And, you know, Perry – I'm surprised Perry didn't come in and say, oh, well, it is obviously this, that, and the other thing, and really do like a scully on the the whole situation and explain away everything. It was a weather balloon the whole time. Again, I wish Stuart Townsend just – yeah, that he had a little bit more to do. I mean, again, he – when his wife comes back, he checks her wrist for that mark. So we're reminded of the mark and how that's going to play into the bigger story overall. But – yeah, otherwise, he doesn't seem to have a lot going on. Which is kind of disappointing that he's taking a backseat to his own story. And even he has all those scenes with Kern in the jail cell, and you would think that there would be a lot more to that. You know, you you think about if Fox Mulder was in that cell, how would that scene have played out? Would he be playing into... The, the current character, would he be playing against him? Would he be, you know, and instead, it just feels like almost by the numbers when they're together. Like, Curran is really giving his all, and Townsend is just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Well, and let's be honest, we know how Fox Mulder would play into that because we've saw it, seen it, we saw it so many times on the show that it shouldn't be surprising. That's the problem with this Stuart Townsend character. I This Cole Shack just, I, it's kind of a blank slate. Again, second episode now where I'm saying this. He just is not very well defined as a character that I could be interested in, like the Darren McGavin character of Cole Shack. I just did a quick search before we started recording of uh, X-Files Prisoner and to see all of the uh, episodes that were set either fully in a jail or uh, partially in a jail. And it's just like, yeah, there's a lot of these things, man. They're <laughs> like uh, the uh, Horizon, uh, I think is how you pronounce it. Of course, I mentioned Beyond the Sea. There was uh, the list. And I'm sure, you know, that's just 
three um, uh, that came up first in Google, and it's just like, yeah, there's uh, there's quite a few that had these prison-bound uh, characters that were either reaching out or committing murders somehow inside of the prison. I really like how this just, there's so much in this episode that I feel like I really like, but there are a couple things in this episode that if they had just gone like one different direction, it would have been way different. It's interesting that the cops are more concerned about Kaler than they are about Perry and that they are taking care of that business and not taking care of Perry whatsoever. And that it's Jane who is the one that's doing the rushing over to her apartment. He's the one who realizes that Kolchak has spent too much time with Kaler. So he's, you know, he's the one that's going to turn at the same time. It's like, it, he doesn't necessarily save Perry. Like it's Kolchak who is able to resist the power and not use the knife on her. But there's also that nice moment where he comes in and his face, you know, Jane's face is just like, you know, in shock. And then Gabrielle Union, Perry turns over in her sleep. I was like, okay, that's kind of nice. And it's got that driving pop song thing going to it. So I was reminded of like Michael Mann and Manhunter. So I thought that scene, that sequence came together pretty well. The one thing that irks me about this show is the lack of narration. And why is Kolchak always narrating in his car? Right. And why? Oh, my God. There's this this the lack of narration irks me. And then when they have narration, they have these goofy like words popping up on the screen. Yeah. uh, Like emphasis words. And I'm like, what is this? Some sort of like Scientology motivational video? It's Sherlock. It's Sherlock getting texts, but a few years early. Life, happiness, the Church of Scientology. Like, that's what it feels like. And I'm just like, this is so, this seems so out of place. This doesn't really work. And when you have a character, you have Stuart Townsend playing this character so enigmatically, because to your point, he doesn't necessarily have that much to do in his own show. Without that voiceover, we are just lost. We don't know what this guy's thinking. Whereas you always got that cynical bite of Carl Kolchak working at the INS and just that those kind of deadpan, you know, and that was the last night he would ever spend at the bowling alley or whatever. You know, he was about to split seven and ten and never come back for a turkey. It's just like you got those like kind of groaner lines, but it was nice that you had that and that there was that humor to it and that there was that it was like humorous hard boiled. And we don't get that at all in this one. And it's too bad, you know, now we know the truth. So we can't throw Frank Spotnitz under the bus anymore and say, oh, my God, this was, you know, such a terrible idea and such a terrible execution. Because now we know he probably didn't want to do it that way. He probably did want more humor to this and probably did want us to know more of Carl Kolchak and didn't want Kolchak playing second banana in his own show. Right. And the narration would have been awesome. It would have been great. It may have helped flesh out this otherwise, I don't want to say one dimensional, but lacking character. But ultimately, we're not given that. And so we really have to kind of search for who Kolchak is without it. And I just kind of coming up blank. And he's supposed to have this really kind of crazy backstory of his wife dying. And he has he's trying to find her killer. And there's this mark of Cain. And there's this da 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 da. There's a huge mythology. And none of it's really like you never again, you never get the sense that Kolchak 
that cares, really. He opines the loss of his wife, but he's not, I don't know. It's just, it's it's disappointing. I don't want to rewrite this series on the fly, but I'm going to. And I'm going to say that I think had we had a moment in every episode, even if it was, you know, beginning of the second uh, act or something, because I know every every episode is going to start with our initial murder or discovery or whatever it is and that's going to be our way to lead us into the show right but at some point it would be nice if we got just a little bit of that Kolshak backstory and you know he doesn't have to do the whole waking up from a nightmare drenched in sweat kind of thing but just give us a little bit and even just do a dissolve from whatever's going on in the backstory to whatever's happening in our a story to kind of tie some of these things together with some parallels as far as what he has lived and then or what he's found as he's doing this investigation because there's that missing time between when his wife died and when he shows up now in los angeles to be this reporter give us that kind of stuff and let us see more about this i I guess mythology is the right word in this case let us see a little bit more of this mythology and you know give us a little taste of that and give us more of why kolchak is this driven character because otherwise he just seems like he's hanging around just bored with everything yeah, and they, I mean, you know, look at a show like The X-Files. They did that on that show. That kind of permeated the first couple seasons of that show was Mulder looking for his sister. Like, this is the same thing. You could have just emulated it. And I don't think anybody would have complained if you had just emulated it. So it is good to know, though, that Stuart Townsend and Tony Curran were both in one of your favorite films together. So they have that connection. Hey, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen's a great film. It retired Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a great film if you've never read the source material, but anybody who read the source, I don't think that anybody could enjoy that. It was like the Avengers before the Avengers. Oh. With Sean Connery as Robert Downey Jr., that guy who played, was it, Huckleberry Finn? Tom Sawyer? Oh, whatever. God, Tom Sawyer. Yeah. Ugh, Jesus. The way he was wedged in there, the way that Stuart Townsend's character was wedged in there. Is... The way that Tony Curran's character was wedged in there? Well, at least there was a... <laughs> A, a, an Invisible Man character in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but... Every time I saw them on screen together, once I realized it was Tony Curran, I was like, man, they're probably lucky to have escaped that movie with careers. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Ah, what a mess. Yeah. But I think all in all, this episode is a way better episode than the first one. Yeah. And if the other episodes of this show aren't great, this really will feel like an episode from a different show. Right. Yeah, had they called this... Perry Reed, reporter at large, I think we would have had a little bit uh, better experience with this instead of it being the Night Stalker. Yeah, agreed. So, Chris, what is new over at the Culture Cast? We are nearing the end of Schwarzenegger September, where we are talking about all Arnold Schwarzenegger films, including one of Mike's favorites, Last Action Hero. <laughs> That's funny. We are doing a Arnold Schwarzenegger film on the projection booth. We're going to be doing The Running Man. You mean a good Stephen King adaptation? Yes, one of few. One of, yeah, well, one of few, still one of few because Dark Tower was a bummer. A.K.A. Last Action Hero 2017. <laughs> Except Last Action Hero is good. So, in my opinion, I know you hate it, but... Well, I might like it if you weren't trying to shove it down my throat as being a masterpiece. I never said it was a masterpiece. I said it was ahead of its time. That's good. I have to tell you that if you go back and you read the script, you'll actually like the the 
the movie from the script more than the movie that came out. Yeah, we can't play that game, Mike. Yeah, sorry. That's a dangerous. That's a dangerous game. It's a slippery it. slope. That's a very slippery slope. That's a very slippery slope. But other than that, we're just watching new movies and finishing out Schwarzenegger September. You can follow me over at Culture Stash. You can check out CultureShock.com at CultureShock.com. Culture with a K. I do a once a week to two times a week podcast, depending on if there's a new movie worth watching, called The Culture Cast. So you should check that out. That's Culture with a K. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Radio, and all podcast apps, both iOS and Android. Pretty sure, Mr. White, you have a little podcast of your own. I think it's called something like The Projection Booth Podcast. What are you doing over there? Well, we are going to be doing Check Timber, so it is almost all, and I say almost because of that Running Man episode, which somehow ended up coming in September, I guess because of September 11th, and the rest of the month is all Czechoslovakian films, so a lot of classics, especially from the Czech New Wave, so things like Closely Watched Trains, The Cremator, Case for a Rookie Hangman, so yeah, it should be a pretty interesting month, getting some uh, folks that have written a little bit about Czechoslovakian cinema on there some fans of it so it should be just a big old Czech festival I'm really looking forward to it so yeah you can find us over at projection-booth.com follow me over on Twitter at ProBoothkis as you would like to say Chris um, it's I, true it's the ProBoothkis I do appreciate that of course we'll have all the links in the show notes over at colchactapes.com before I forget I want to thank uh, the writer of our theme music Mr. John Walker always doing a great job with that much appreciated so so we'll be going back to Kolchak the Night Stalker with one of the original episodes on The Vampire. I'm very curious to see how they handle vampires in the series as we've seen how he dispatched a vampire in the Night Stalker movie itself. So should be an interesting comparison. And if he doesn't kill that vampire on screen in cold blood in front of police officers, I'm going to be vastly disappointed. I'm going to be so disappointed if he doesn't kill one in cold blood like he did in the movie. I would just you have no idea. I hope that he says, you know, you, I've, you've never had to kill one of these before. I have, and you know, some sort of big dramatic speech. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, agreed. You don't know how hard it is to kill one of these things. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I hope we get something like that. Kolshak, the journeyman vampire killer. Kolchak Van Helsing. I'd watch that. Yeah. If it was Darren McGavin. It'd be way better than that movie with uh, Hugh Jackman. Uh, I don't know about that. The movie's a guilty pleasure. You should never be guilty about what brings you pleasure. <laughs> You're probably right, but you just said it was terrible, so I feel like I may have made the right choice. At least we're talking about Kolchak, and we're not talking about The Last Action Hero or Van Helsing. Yeah, it's true. I don't know how you could do a podcast uh, over either of those in their entirety, except for maybe if we ripped off the Goodfellas minute-by-minute minute, you know, uh, format of a podcast. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, minute-by-minute, minute with special guest Alan Moore. I don't like it. I won't watch it. Okay, Alan Moore, you cantankerous bastard, you. So once again, I want to remind folks to go out and talk about the show Give us a hashtag of Kolchak Tapes, and if you do that before the end of September 2017, we will pick one lucky winner and send you a copy of The Showrunner, An Insider's Guide to Successful TV Production by Cy Shermack, and you will be hearing Mr. Shermack on next month's episode when we talk about The Vampire. 
And don't forget, if you get us into the top 50 on iTunes in the movies and TV category, we'll do this thing live in Chicago, the home of Coal Shack. Don't forget that either. Have you been checking the charts? How are we doing? I have not been checking the charts, but I would assume we're not up there yet. Hopefully one of these days. So yeah, keep giving us reviews over at iTunes and let's get us up there and let's do this live show in Chicago. I look forward to it. I spent long hours looking outside for answers. But there is a deeper understanding hidden inside about the darkness that resides in each of us and how far we would go to get back what we can never recover.